You're listening to Preach the Word with David Ryu, Sermon Archive. Well, please join me in a word of prayer. Gracious God, now as we incline our ears to the preaching of your word, we ask for the illumination of the Holy Spirit. Open our eyes so that we may see wonderful things. Prepare the soil of our hearts so that your word will take root and bear much fruit. And ignite a passion in this next generation with holy affections and holy ambitions for the glory of Christ and the fame of his name. We pray all this in the name of our mighty Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, please open up your Bibles with me to Matthew 28. Matthew 28, 16 to 20. Hear the word of the Lord. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Amen. This was a reading of God's word. What you just heard and read is commonly referred to as the Great Commission. It is the charge and command that Jesus gave his disciples at the very end of Matthew's Gospel. And the fact that these are the final words, the final words from our Lord before his ascension stresses the weightiness and the greatness of this commission. And surely these parting words of Christ burned within his his disciples, for they would go on to gladly suffer persecution and even death for the spread of the gospel. And as a result, what we observe is the explosion of Christianity from just a handful of disciples to over 30 million within the first three centuries. And over the stretch of 2,000 years, brave Christian men and women risked their lives to proclaim the gospel in the most dangerous places in the world, in obedience to the Great Commission. You and I owe it to these brave souls for faithfully passing on the words of eternal life 
to our people and to our generation. For this reason, and for the sake of the glory of God, the Great Commission must be of great importance to every single follower of Jesus Christ. But the great tragedy of our day is that this commission has been largely forgotten and neglected. In 2017, a study was conducted among churchgoers in the U.S. and exposed that only 17%, that's 17% of churchgoers actually knew what the Great Commission was. This is obviously pretty shocking, but I suppose that it would be even more shocking to us to find out how many Christians actually live out the gospel and obey the Great Commission today. Brothers and sisters, the greatest hindrance to the fulfillment of the Great Commission and the evangelization of the world is not physical distance, nor is it a lack of supply. We live in a time where we can hop on a plane and go to the other side of the world in under 24 hours. And Jesus didn't say that the harvest is plentiful, but the money is few. He said, the workers are few. Rather, I'm convinced that the greatest hindrance to the fulfillment of the Great Commission and the evangelization of the world are disobedient Christians. But in the words of a fine missionary, Hudson Taylor, the Great Commission is not an option to be considered. It is a command to be obeyed. And the question that is pressed upon each of you today is this. Will you obey? Will you obey the final charge from our commander-in-chief. You can settle. You can settle for a casual, comfortable, superficial Christianity, and you can waste your entire life pursuing worldly ambitions, collecting worldly possessions, and seeking worldly pleasures. Or you can recognize that Jesus is worthy. He is worthy of more. He is worthy of your obedience. He is worthy of your time. He is worthy of your life. He is worthy of your worship and the worship of every single person in the world, from every tribe, nation, and tongue. 
The word worship broken down is worth-ship. It means the ascribing of the highest worth. And to God alone, we ascribe the highest worth. You see, the end goal of the Great Commission is the worship of God. This is why we must go. Because we long for all people to be included in the everlasting and heavenly enjoyment and worship of God. But the Great Commission doesn't just end with worship. It also begins with worship. And so we're told in verse 16 that the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And verse 17 says, when they saw him, they worshipped him. The Greek word here for worship is proskunio. It doesn't mean worship in the sense of musical praise or ceremony, but it means worship as the action of prostrating oneself, to bow your knee, to lay flat with your forehead and nose to the ground. This posture is the ultimate expression of reverence and adoration. We find this word used several times elsewhere in Matthew's Gospel. When the Magi from the east followed the stars to find a baby boy in a manger, they bowed down and worshipped him, saying, This is the King of the Jews. When the disciples are on the boat and they're caught in a violent storm, they see Jesus walking on the lake toward them. And at once, as he steps into the boat, immediately the wind dies down and the disciples fall down and worship him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. When the grieving women find the empty tomb, they start running to tell the other disciples. Suddenly, the risen Christ appears to them, and at once they drop to the ground, grip him by his feet, and they worshiped him. And friends, let me ask you, does the thought of being in the very presence of Christ bring you to your knees in worship? Is this the posture of your heart and your life? Because if you have even seen a glimpse of the glory and the majesty and the power of Christ, if you have tasted a portion of his love and grace at all. 
then your life purpose, your life mission will be radically transformed. This is where all must begin. There is no Christian missionary who is not yet first a worshiper. In the last decade, I've been part of this ministry. I've seen thousands of students that have come through. Many of them were passionate in leading the movement of evangelism and discipleship on their campuses. Many of them I, I personally discipled, poured my life into them, even took them on mission trips. But it absolutely tore my heart into pieces as I witnessed droves of them abandon the mission and walk away from Christ altogether. Now, I want you to take a look around this room. Go ahead, take a look. You might see your friends who are passionate Christians. They are leaders on the campus, leaders at church. They, they serve on the praise team. Well, the sobering reality is that statistically, 80% of you will be gone and leave the church by the time you graduate from school and start your career. I mean, think about that. For every 10 people here, eight of you could be gone. And what I've come to realize over the years was that there could be people among us who appear to be passionate servants of the Lord, but were never true worshipers. When you're surrounded by a young and energetic crowd like this, you come to conferences like this, it's easy to get swept up by the emotions, the hype, you can easily get sucked into this herd mentality and fool yourself. But what you need to do frequently is to examine yourself, test yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Do you really know him? Do you? Do you know the Son of God who took on flesh, humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross? Do you know the mighty Savior who swallowed up every ounce of the holy wrath of God for sinners who trust in him and pronounced that it was finished. Do you know the King of Kings who rose again in victory, conquering death and sin and all forces of evil and ascended unto heaven 
in all glory and power. Do you know him? And does he know you? Has he placed his spirit in you to will and to act according to his good purpose? Is there evidence of the activity of the Holy Spirit convicting you of sin, changing your desires, growing your appetite for holiness, bearing the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? And when you fail, do you submit to him? Do you submit to the hand of the gardener who prunes the branches? Do you surrender to the love of the father who disciplines his children? What I'm asking here is when you sin and when you fail, do you run away from him? Or do you run to him? For it is in view of God's Mercy shown to you that you will offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to him. This is your true and proper worship. Brothers and sisters, the call to the Great Commission is first a call to worship to worship him. And joyful obedience to Christ only ever grows in the soil of true worship to Christ. Are you worshiping him? Now, as the disciples are gathered on the mountain in Galilee, Jesus starts his discourse with a statement of fact. In verse 18, he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. The supreme authority of Jesus Christ is the basis for everything else that follows in this text. Keep that in mind. Because you see, it is precisely because Jesus has all authority that we must obey all his commands. If he tells you to sit, you sit. If he tells you to go, you go. He is the Lord of your life. And so your time is not your own. Your money is not your own. Your intellect is not your own. Your talents are not your own. Your future is not your own. All because your life is not your own. Your life belongs to Christ. Moreover, Jesus is not just Lord over your life, but he is Lord over all creation. And so, he can rebuke the winds, and calm the storm. He can speak a word and heal the sick, give sight to the blind, bring a dead man back to life. He has the authority to forgive sins 
Your sins, my sins. He has the authority to lay down his life and the authority to take it up again. And this begs the question, doesn't it? Who is this man? Who is this man who claims to have all authority in heaven and on earth? Well, the testimony of Scripture is crystal clear. There can only be one who has the attribute of omnipotence and all power and all authority. It is God. It is God alone. And so what does this tell us about Jesus? He's God. He's your God. He's my God. He is the supreme ruler and creator of the universe. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God at the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. And you see, it is precisely because Jesus has all authority that we can go fearlessly to the most dangerous places in the world and to preach the gospel to savages and our preaching would not be in vain. For we were sent by the authority of God we are sustained by the authority of God, and we will win by the authority of God. The Great Commission will succeed because His authority guarantees it. Therefore, Jesus says, Go. Go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, not the Son, not the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. In 1927, 12 CIM missionaries in China were brutally killed. But instead of retreating from this mission, a call was issued to recruit and send 200 more. And this written notice was sent out to all the churches across the West. It read like this. This call of need, of urgency, has come for 200 men and women in two years. And it must be met. 200 men and women who know and love the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and who share the Lord's passion for souls, men and women who believe that the gospel of Christ is still the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. End quote. 
in the hymn, Facing a Task Unfinished, was written in support for the appeal of 200 to respond to this call. And by December 1931, 200 brave men and women sailed for China to proclaim the gospel even if it meant their possible death. As we sang a moment ago, we go to all the world with kingdom hope unfurled. No other name has power to save but Jesus Christ the Lord. Brothers and sisters, we owe the world to Christ, for he chose us and redeemed us. And we owe Christ to the world, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which people can be saved. We must go, we must, because there are still well over 3 billion people in the world who have never even heard the gospel once in their lifetime. 3 billion people in the world who are still unreached. This means that they are born and they will live and they will likely die without ever hearing the gospel of Christ. And let me remind you that the gospel is only good news to the lost if it gets there in time. And so what will you do? We go to all the world with all urgency with all fervor, with all passion, we go. And if God has called you to stay put where you are in this season, this is not a call to be comfortable and to build up your own empire or even to just build up your own local church. For I'm convinced that you cannot be a biblical Christian or a biblical church and not desire to see every person on the planet worship Christ. And so if you are not going to personally go yourself to the unreached, ask yourself, how will you get involved as a sender and mobilize the goers? How will you support and pray for missionary endeavors? How will you contribute? You see, the evangelization of the world is the responsibility of not just a faithful few, but the whole church, the whole church of God. However, the work of the Great Commission is not just about converting unbelievers. The aim must be to make disciples. After the gospel is preached and sinners are receptive, 
the job is not done. We must help them to mature as a disciple and student of Jesus Christ. Now, there are three things I must point out here about disciple-making from verses 19 to 20. Three things. First, we must make disciples of all nations. The original Greek phrase used here for all nations is pantata ethne. This is not referring to nations in the sense of different countries, but it's referring to ethnic and people groups. You see, Jesus' command is very much specific. He wants us to make disciples among every ethnic and people groups in the world. Of course, there's a need for ethnic-focused, ethnic-specific ministries and churches, especially in places like our city, where there are language and cultural barriers among new immigrants and refugees, and that's great. We need these churches and ministries, for sure. But the danger with ethnic-focused ministries is that they often only really produce disciples who make disciples of their own people. Yet Jesus has told us to make disciples of all nations. That's plainly what he tells us. And so we must produce disciples who can make disciples of all nations. Soon after I became a Christian, God gave me a heart for world missions. One day, if the Lord wills, I thought, I want to be a missionary to the unreached peoples in the world. Maybe some of you have that desire as well. But then here I was, living in the city of Toronto, the most multicultural city in the world. God has literally brought all the nations to my doorstep, and I was doing nothing impactful to actually reach them. You see, to be honest, I was very happy to just talk about world missions, sing about world missions, go on short-term mission trips time to time. But the truth was that I could live my entire life in my tiny little Korean Christian bubble and be very happy. I'm an immigrant from Korea. I love Korean culture and Korean food. I went to a Korean church all my life. Most of my closest friends are Korean. But if I didn't learn how to be adaptable in crossing different cultures, if I didn't learn how to lead churches and movements of evangelism and discipleship among other people groups, 
How could I ever be a useful missionary? And so the Spirit continued to convict me to step out of my comfort zone and to reach those beyond my own people. And so I, I left my Korean church that I loved so dearly a few years ago. And I began serving the English ministries of Southeast Asian churches scattered throughout Southern Ontario. Now what God showed me there was just devastating to me. And these were very, very small churches. Most of them did not own a single property or building. They struggled to find a space to worship and do other programs. There was no discipleship, no evangelism. There were no Bible teachers and pastors to shepherd the flock. I recall one lady telling me that she had never had a pastor, although she grew up in the church her whole life. Just think about this. In 2016, there are 180,000 Korean people in Canada, living in Canada, okay? 180,000. In 2016, there are 240,000 Vietnamese people living in Canada. Way more. There are way more Vietnamese people here in this land. Yet, there is a saturation of Korean churches in the GTA. Not to mention, the Korean people are globally one of the most reached people groups with the gospel. While Vietnam only has a 2% evangelical Christian population. And seeing this great disparity really broke my heart, and I hope it breaks your heart as well. And as I prayed and asked the Lord what he would have me to do, he gave my wife and I a vision to bring these dying immigrant churches together and to plant the Asper Church in the North York area with the focus on reaching the unengaged people groups with the gospel in our city. And the hope is that we will produce disciples who will take the gospel back to their homeland and to the rest of the world. Brothers and sisters, we face a task that is unfinished. Christ would like us to go out and gather all the nations into the Father's house. That's what he told us to do. To finish this task could cost you your comfort, your safety, your privileges, your preferences. To finish this task will demand from you all of your attention, your passion, your creativity, and your talents. But I believe that God has blessed you and I 
so abundantly. Not so that we can live in luxury and comfort, but so that we can be a blessing to all people on earth. And it is my hope and prayer that, that this generation could be the generation that finishes the task of the Great Commission. And so we must make disciples of all nations. And secondly, we must baptize them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Baptism is a rite of washing or cleansing by water. And as the Westminster Confession puts it, baptism is a sign and seal of the covenant of grace, of his engrafting into Christ, of regeneration, of remission of sins, and of our giving up unto God through Jesus Christ to walk in newness of life. Of course, the act of baptism itself does not save a sinner. But baptism is the visible picture of entrance into the covenant family of God. And it is an explicit command by Jesus that we must obey. Every disciple of Jesus must be baptized in God's triune name, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And thirdly, we must teach them to obey everything Jesus has commanded us. Jesus' expectations for his disciples was to reproduce themselves by teaching others everything that they have learned from him. Reproduction is how Christianity began to grow in the first place. Think about it. They didn't have the internet. They didn't have the social media to platform their message. But the early church saw massive growth by the good old method of person-to-person -person teaching. Think about this. If one Christian, right, that's one Christian somehow successfully converted 10 people every single day, 365 days a year, then he would have converted 3,650 people per year. But it would take him 2.16 million years to convert the world's population of 7.8 billion. But if one Christian makes just two disciples per year, that's two disciples per year, and those two disciples reproduce themselves by also making two disciples the next year, and those two disciples make another two disciples and so forth, then it would take under 33 years under 33 years to disciple the whole world's population. This is the exponential, exponential power of spiritual multiplication. And this was Jesus' idea and strategy to grow his church. He wants us to make disciples who go on to make more disciples. This can be inferred in the 
teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. We are commanded to make disciples, and we are to teach other people to also obey the command to make disciples. Disciple making is not going to be easy. It's not painless work. I understand that. It requires immense patience, love, time. Like a hardworking farmer who plants the seeds, waters the plants, and we pray to God and rely on Him to give it growth. And also, every disciple of Christ must be taught to obey to obey everything that Jesus had commanded. This is the whole counsel of God. We must be both serious students and teachers of the Bible. And yet we must also imitate the life and character of godly Christians who teach us. And we must set an example of Christ-likeness to others. Now, as we come to the end of the sermon, I asked a question that we, that we began with. The question was this Will you obey? Will you obey the Great Commission? Well, if you are a Christian here in this room, Disobedience is not an option. It's not. And I suppose that some of you are, are just really feeling overwhelmed. The Great Commission is a daunting task. I understand that. Actually, no, the, the Great Commission is not just a daunting task. It, it is an impossible task. If you think about it, it's impossible the truth is because we are inadequate. We're too weak to finish the task. But the only reason, let me tell you the only reason why we can attempt great things for God, okay? The only reason why we can attempt great things for God is because we have a great God, a great God who can do the impossible, and he tells us to go. Christ, our Redeemer, and the Supreme Ruler, who has all authority in heaven and earth, would like us to know that he is for us, that he will sustain us, that he will go with us. Look with me to verse 20. Jesus says to his disciples, And surely I am with you always. It's the very end of the age. What words of assurance and consolation 
Be encouraged by this, dear Christian. Be encouraged. The very presence of Christ will follow you wherever you go. He is always with you until the very end, until you join Him in glory. He will be with you. And so we obey the Great Commission as we depend on the presence of Christ and His power and His wisdom and His Spirit. And we can be confident that as we attempt great things for God, as we seek to win the campus and to win the world for Christ, as we go to the most dangerous places in the world where the gospel is desperately needed, we can be confident that we are safe and secure in His sovereign hand. That is why we go. That is why we go. He is worthy. He shall sustain us. His authority goes before us. His presence is with us. Let us go. Let us commit to go. Let us commit to make disciples. And I guarantee you, you will experience the very presence of Christ in the most intimate way possible. Let us pray. Father, you are a glorious God. You are glorious and you are worthy. You are worthy of our lives. You are worthy of our devotion. Lord, we desire, we want, and we long for every single person in the planet to worship Christ, to be included in this heavenly enjoyment of worshiping Christ for all eternity. Lord God, you are worthy, you are deserving of all of our praise. Lord, we have people that we know that we love very much who are on the path to a Christless eternity. Lord, would you break our hearts? Would you break our hearts? And would you give us the courage to go? Would you fill us with your spirits? Would you ignite a passion in us and in this generation to take up the banner of Christ to the most dangerous places in the world and to preach Christ crucified till their dying breath. Lord, only you can do this work. And so God, just stir our hearts. Would you increase our affections and our allegiance to you? Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.